welcome to another episode of Life as a Nephrologist podcast. Today's topic is actually about magnesium. Um, I think a lot of times we think about life as a nephrologist focused on policy or particular studies, but I think our sole focus today is going to be magnesium. I, for myself, you know, whenever I've looked up magnesium when I was a trainee, whether it was an intern, a resident fellow, would always find interesting articles named um, magnesium, the for- forgotten electrolyte or the forgotten cation, uh, which I think has continued till now. We have four physicians who are actually very interested in magnesium, and they're going to be talking about um, studies that actually have been published in kidney medicine. I'll start off with uh, Dr. Weiner. Thanks so much, Sam. It's really great to be here. Um, and I think I get the privilege of sort of being the uh, MC here or introducing the topic. And, and like Sam said, there, there's no real specialty that owns magnesium. Um, so if that's the case, then I think nephrologists should own magnesium. It's a cation. It does a lot of things. It's cardiovascular disease. It's handled at least in part by the kidney. It's something that I personally have been interested in. If you think about it, when you're round in the hospital, what do you see being given more than just about anything else? IV magnesium to get that mag level up to two, or the cardiologist will be mad at you forever. And then you get in your transplant recipients where their own calcineurin inhibitors, it's super hard to get magnesium levels really anywhere approaching normal. So something that we've been really interested in, and we've been privileged enough at kidney medicine to get a lot of really good reports and original investigations about magnesium. So the articles that we have today really span the gamut, including looking at treatment of magnesium, looking at magnesium in the dialysate, excuse me, treatment. The articles we have today really span the gamut, including looking at the treatment of hypomagnesemia, putting magnesium in the dialysate and what that does to symptoms and other findings. And what this means in a large clinical trial like SPRINT, where we have incredible data to potentially highlight the association of magnesium with outcomes. Dr. Shen. Hi, this is Jenny Shen. Um, I'm one of the associate editors of Kidney Medicine. So I actually have not come across magnesium that much in clinical practice until this past year. And to be honest, it was thanks to one of the case reports that I managed to get my um, patient out of the hospital because it is off forgotten. I think when I gave a talk on magnesium, I called it like the redheaded stepchild of the um, of the electrolytes in nephrology. Um, so I'm excited to give it some time in the sunshine. Um, I clearly never came across that one, but yeah, that's also another interesting one other than the forgotten electrolyte. Dr. Drew. Yeah, so Dave Drew, I'm also one of the associate editors. So I think one of the most exciting things for me about some of these articles is that, especially the one I'll talk about at the end, is that magnesium has the potential to be modifiable, right? We have a potential to in, uh, increase it either with supplementation or with different medications. And so that unlocks some potential for treatment and how that applies to kidney disease and its complications. So we'll jump into the two case reports that are um, in, in question. Kidney Medicine published two case reports looking at the management of severe hypomagnesemia uh, with the use of SGLT2 inhibitors. And we actually have the author from these uh, two case reports, Dr. Chintan Shah. Dr. Shah, could you tell us about how you actually came across this connection and what is your advice for clinicians and what they should be looking for in these um, in, in refractory hypomagnesemia using SGLT2 inhibitors as well? 
Thank you for the opportunity. First of all, I'd like to thanks, uh, thank everyone at Kitty Medicine Editorial Board for inviting me and giving me opportunity to talk about this, which I think is a very important topic for clinicians to focus and learn more about as we have more data coming around. From my uh, personal experience, I've been very influenced by use of uh, SGLD2 inhibitors over the last few years. And since uh, uh, the reports we reported in kidney medicine, I have personal connection with those patients and quality of life, it has changed. It has left a remarkable impact in my mind. And that's why I feel like more and more data is definitely needed to treat these patients even better than what we have currently. From a, a hypomagnesemia and a clinical nephrologist standpoint, I would recommend for always remember to check magnesium. The renal function panel, unfortunately, does not include magnesium. Uh, I'm not sure why, but majority of the time, nephrologist, as Dr. Wiener mentioned, is the one taking the lead in treating magnesium, but renal function panel doesn't include typically magnesium in it. So unless we check for it, we won't be able to identify and treat them. And uh, as far as the treatment of refractory hypomagnesemia is the focus of both the reports is concerned. My experience has been very uh, significant in reference to patients who were initially reported where I found the link. Initial reports of uh, SGLD2 inhibitor with magnesium was by Dr. Ivan Ray, I think, at UPMC, and they reported refractory hypomagnesemia, but these patients had genetic disease causing overt urinary magnesium wasting. And these specific group of patients had remarkable improvement with SGLD2 inhibitor, and that, as a clinician, clicked me. We had some randomized controlled trial meta-analysis, like even 2016, as early as 2016, but the significance was very, the statistical significance was achieved, but the level of improvement was not significant for a clinician to be uh, uh, alarmed about. However, these reports were very alarming. So since uh, then, I had one patient at the same time and these reports came out, and this patient had diabetes, has been on IV magnesium replacement for two years, she, uh, unfortunately, her quality of life is like a dialysis patient. She goes three times a week to receive intravenous magnesium infusion for hypomagnesemia. And she has been doing this for two years, what she's referred me for after two years now from her primary care physician to help further. She even leaves her uh, husband with dementia. She cannot leave at home. So she leaves him in the car to receive this infusion. That's how bad the quality of life was. I put her on SGLD2 inhibitor, of course, after discussing risk and benefit because we didn't have much data, and these are not the typical genetic disease causing hypomagnesemia. She not only came off completely off the magnesium infusions, but we dropped her oral magnesium supplements to half of what she was taking. This was remarkable. Her quality of life changed, uh, and till date, it's been two years, and I recently saw her a few months ago, and she's still off of magnesium infusions, and she cannot thank us enough. Now, this is one, of course, report, and uh, we have to make sure we are able to replicate these or not. And it's not universal. It's not seen. I've tried it in many other patients. doesn't work all the time. So we really need more data about which patients does it help. And if it does help, it helps remarkably. And what is the proposed mechanism by which it actually helps conserve magnesium, if you could talk about that a little bit? Sure. There are a few proposed. Actually, I'm writing one manuscript right now, which is under review at AJKD, and we have proposed a few mechanisms. One initially proposed was increasing transmembrane potential difference in the thick ascending loop of Henle. 
when we inhibit uh, sodium glucose co-transporter in proximal tubules, there will be increased delivery of sodium to the thick ascending loop of Henle, and that can increase the transmembrane potassium gradient, and that can increase the paracellular diffusion of magnesium. However, my argument is I'm not sure that's a very strong argument. More data I have to discuss in detail in the review article that we have not seen. Uh, increase NKCC2 activity with SGLD2 inhibitors. So I'm not sure the TM uh, transmembrane potassium gradient really increases in the thick ascending loop finally. There was a very remarkable animal model study published by a group in Taiwan, and they showed increased TRPM6 activity. They showed increased TRPM6 expression, to be accurate, with increased intracellular magnesium level. And I think that might be a promising mechanism that in the distal convoluted tubule, increased active absorption of magnesium with SGLT2 inhibitor is likely responsible for increased uh, serum magnesium levels. Well, thanks for that um, detailed explanation. Actually, um, it is food for thought for many, um, I think, even physiologists. And, you know, I think a lot of people in renal physiology uh, hopefully will conduct studies that we can actually clarify this mechanism further. Um, but let's switch gears and talk about the other article that we were um, be focusing on is the dialysate magnesium and coronary artery calcification. Um, also, its effect on bone mineral density and cramping in uh, maintenance hemodialysis patients. I believe, Dr. Shen, you were one of the um, editors uh, for this study. Um, could you tell us a little more about this article and um, what fascinates you about it? Yeah, so this study was done at hemodialysis centers that were in Bangkok. So this was done in Thailand. And they were patients who were getting maintenance hemodialysis. And they did screen them for coronary artery calcification as well as bone mineral density. So those who had a high calcification scores were the ones that were included. And basically, they wanted to see, well, if we go ahead and put them on these high magnesium baths, is that going to stop the progression of the calcification? And the interesting thing is, as a safety outcome, they looked at the occurrence of cramps um, that were recorded as per usual care. And what they found out, um, it was a very small study. There are only 20 patients in each arm, but the high dialysis magnesium concentration, it didn't um, stop the progression of the calcification and it didn't improve the bone mineral disease, although they theorized that it might be because the patients in the study already had pretty severe calcification. But um, what they had looked at as the safety outcome, the muscle cramps, those were actually um, less frequent among those who were treated with the high dialysate magnesium. So I thought this was pretty neat because I think um, it kind of melded together what you know some people would call a quote-unquote hard outcome, looking at um, coronary artery calcification and a patient-reported outcome of cramps. And I thought it was interesting that um, they looked at it as a safety outcome. That's how they had framed it. Um, whereas for, uh, you know, for me, I look at it as, you know, for a lot of studies, this would be a primary outcome. When I talk to my patients um, about, you know, you got to you watch your bone mineral disease, and I talk to them about heart disease, of course, a lot of them understand it conceptually, but what is right in front of them at every um, session are the cramps that really get to them. So I thought how fascinating that magnesium is something that I think can be appreciated by physicians who are very much into physiology and also um, the ones who are more inclined towards the patient-reported outcomes that kind of come up every time you run on your patients. 
If I can add one thing to that, and, and this was really remarkable, the editorialist for that article, Michelle Richardson, reached out to the authors of the article. And when she did that, she asked them specifically about cramps because that's super important to patients and super meaningful. And what she heard back from the principal investigator was that people didn't want to come off the higher magnesium. They were like, no, you have to continue this because it made such a big difference in terms of their quality of life. And that was really very impactful to me. When you hear your patients, you're doing something that's easy to do um, and is safe. But when you also hear that it's really making their quality of life better, so much so that they want to stay in this experiment, I mean, I mean that, that says a lot. But, you know, I think we always equate cramps with higher ultrafiltration rates. Um, I think that's something to definitely to think about for future studies as well. Is magnesium going to make such a big difference to that? But when they were looking at coronary artery calcification and, and bone min mineral density, um, what was the basis for that, um, Dan? All right, you're putting me on the spot here with physiology. Um, but magnesium has been pretty closely linked to calcification, in particular hypomagnesemia, through a lot of mechanisms, including many that I personally do not understand. Um, so the thought was that if you are giving people a higher magnesium bath, you are basically, our, our current dialysate is actually a negative magnesium balance. So when we do hemodialysis, um, especially in the United States, um, where the most common bath is a 0.5 magnesium bath, um, we're actually taking magnesium out of people's bodies. Um, this is this is a vestige of old practices in dialysis um, where we're doing negative magnesium balance. Um, the thought was by um, bringing towards positive magnesium balance that would have at least some suppression of PTH um, and other factors that would result in a less calcifying milieu. I think that this study is too small to show that one way or another, and there's a lot. There's just way too much heterogeneity. And we're looking at a very surrogate outcome. Ultimately, I think in order to figure out what the best magnesium should be for dialysis patients, we actually need to do a large clinical trial in dialysis patients. Now, there is one going on in Canada, um, a pragmatic trial um, looking at dialysate and magnesium concentration. Um, we hope to do another one in the United States, and we'll see if we can get that off the ground because we have to be able to have enough people to look at the hard clinical outcomes as well as the patient-centered outcomes like cramping. I know with my patients, those who are getting cramping, bad cramps, they would, they would trade a lot of months of life and duration if they can have their dialysis and do well and not have any pain. And that's what most people actually would say. You know, I mean, uh, patient-reported outcomes are really turning out to be big these days, so I really hope that there's something on the horizon for that as well. But we'll um, go on to the next study now. Um, I think we, we, we do have an author in the house as well, Dr. Drew, who, who, who um, published a study in kidney medicine as well, where they're looking at serum magnesium levels and cardiovascular outcomes in um, systolic blood pressure and interventional trial participants, which is the SPRINT study. Dr. Drew, would you tell us a little bit about the study? Sure. And just as a disclosure, so since I was an author, um, the, I was not part of the editorial decision with uh, um, the article in question. So just as a, a reminder to everyone, SPRINT was a large blood pressure trial looking at intensive blood pressure control versus standard uh, blood pressure targets. It looked at a number of different outcomes, including cardiovascular disease and kidney outcomes. 
This particular study uh, was a case control study that looked at um, 500 individuals who are the cases with cardiovascular events. It was matched to three times as many individuals who did not have cardiovascular events. So it was about a total of 2,000 individuals. Serum magnesium was measured at baseline as well as uh, two years after study enrollment. The primary outcome that was looked at was the, the composite of cardiovascular events. And so the, the main finding was that uh, for every standard deviation increase in serum magnesium, there was a, a significant decrease in the cardi uh, composite of cardiovascular events. This didn't seem to matter whether individuals had um, normal kidney function or CKD. About a third of the individuals in SPRINT had chronic kidney disease. Where there were some differences were when you looked at the actual intervention. So the people who were randomized to the intensive blood pressure control seemed to have the most benefit from having a higher magnesium, such that the, the interaction was actually significant. Whereas those who were in the standard blood pressure arm didn't seem to derive as much of a benefit from uh, having a higher serum magnesium. So this raises some interesting questions as to whether it's really truly an interaction between the blood pressure that's achieved and the magnesium level. And so I think that's that um, will need to be studied in um, future trials or future observational studies. Dan, would you like to add something to this study as well? Sure. So actually, I mean, even looking at all these studies, I think if you look in conjunction at these, the take-home that I that I'm getting is that number one, magnesium seems to matter. And number two, we may have novel and even some simple ways that we can address that. And if you look at those two things in conjunction, I mean, that, that makes me think that this is something that we should start focusing on, that we should actually be researching a lot more and maybe being, maybe try to implement um, a lot more widely. Dr. Shen. Yeah, I think it's really nice to see magnesium kind of standing on its own instead of kind of like, oh, if, you know, your potassium happens to be low, maybe you should take a look at your magnesium. Um, so I think it's kind of nice and it's an underrepresented electrolyte. So, And it is also fun to kind of learn about new things in nephrology at little corners that we haven't really uh, dug into yet. Yeah, I have to say it's definitely undertaught, uh, underrepresented. So I think I'm, I'm glad we did this to bring it to the fore. And uh, I really want to hear some parting thoughts from Dr. Shah as well. Um, thank you for you know changing that patient's life as well with that you know, one intervention. Um, hopefully, many more to come uh, with with all your work that you're doing in that space. So, um, any parting thoughts? Uh, one more thing I would like to add. Uh, actually, the reference interval we currently have of normal magnesium level was adopted in 1974. Um, of enhanced study. And that's very, very old data. And there was a recent publication in 20, I think 16, they proposed that it's time maybe to rethink what is normal. And it is, magnesium is located, 99% is located intracellularly. And only 1% is a surrogate marker in serum. We are hoping that will help us treat the patient better. And uh, the reference interval they proposed was two, to 2.4 milligram per deciliter rather than current 1.8 to 2 milligram per deciliter. 
proposing the bone mineral density and cardiovascular outcome and all these things can be better. So I think we really need to think it from grassroots. Yeah, no, I'll even add that in the transplant world where I mostly reside, you know, magnesium makes such a big difference as Dan alluded to even in tacrolimus, right? Um, because you get so much of magnesium wasting with that. I think there was a study, um, I think in 2016, that even talked about hypomagnesemia correlating with risk of post-transplant diabetes as well. So I think the implications are, are, are so many. Uh, as we can see, um, this the, the impact of magnesium is on, you know, is in the realm of CKD in the realm of coronary artery calcification, hemodialysis, reducing their cramps for at least for maintenance hemodialysis patients. And now we can even see, you know, the outcomes when it comes to even um, hypertension. So thank you all for being here and um, taking uh, precious time out of your day and evening at this point. To the listeners, thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next time. 